let me ask you a question really quick. By the way, I know you get certain amount of skips for chapel. Thank you guys for not using your skip today. It would have been devastating to my ego if it had been completely empty room. Uh, how many of you guys have been in love? Don't sit there with your hands folded like you don't know what I'm talking about. How many of you guys have been in love? Really, honestly? Try it again. How many of you guys have been in love? Okay, so I'm going to get, a bunch of you say you have been, and that's very cool. Um, I'm going to say probably even more have been than say they have been, uh, because sometimes love is a touchy subject, and we don't necessarily like to uh, admit it. We're a little reluctant to admit that we have been in love. I have been in love, which is probably reassuring to my wife of 26 years. I um, currently am in love, but she was not my first love. Uh, Tammy's aren't. I was 12 years old, and she was a girl in my neighborhood. Remember, we didn't have Snapchat, we didn't have Instagram, we didn't have Facebook, we didn't even have MySpace back then, we had no social media, we did not have cell phones, uh, and so you sort of just became friends with and fell in love with whoever was within walking distance of your house. That's how your dating life worked. So uh, Tammy's aren't first girl I was ever in love with, first girl to ever break my heart. She definitely wasn't the last girl I'd ever be in love with and definitely wasn't the last girl I'd ever uh, have my heart broken by. Now, was that really love? Maybe, maybe not. I definitely believed I was in love. I felt like I was in love, but we'll kind of talk about that in a minute. That's really what we're going to spend some time talking about today is love, what it really is and what it isn't. So uh, a couple months ago, my family and I went to Florida and we went to Disney World. And I saw somebody wearing a shirt there and it said, love is love. And it wasn't the first time I'd ever seen that and uh, hadn't been the last time I've seen it. But I uh, started thinking about that. And because they weren't just making a, a very simple statement like a bean burrito is a bean burrito. It wasn't just a factual statement. It was a kind of a commentary in just three words. Love is love. They were saying something. They were trying to expand the definition. And so I started as we were walking through Disney World, I started thinking about that. I went, what, I mean, what really is love? I started thinking about the power of love and the effect of love and the draw of love and the desire that we have for love. And I realized there is literally nothing in your life or in my life that has the level of impact the power, the draw, the attraction that love does. I've never met a single person that didn't want to be loved, that didn't crave love, that didn't desire love, and conversely didn't want to give love. All of us want love. I can't say that about anything else. Not all, I mean, I like different food than you like, and I like different movies than you like. We don't all want the same kinds of things. Even our physical attractions are different. Like, my wife is Hispanic. I love her dark eyes or dark hair or olive skin. That is like it for me. And no offense to blondes. I think blondes are great, but man, I love just that dark. That's, you may not like that at all. You see, that's, we don't like the same things. We don't desire the same things except for love. And I thought, wow, that is incredible. Did you know that with song genres, whether it's country, hip-hop, uh, um, uh, uh, pop, any of it, that still the most sang-about topic is love. Still, it dominates the, the, the content of almost every song 
that's popular. And did you know this? That it's not just singing about love, how well love goes. The most popular songs are the ones when love goes terribly wrong. It's how Taylor Swift has built her career. It's talking about bad love in her life, right? We love a good broken heart song, a bad love song. And there was in the 70s, you guys, none of you were even alive, but maybe is Jim Jessup in here? He's old enough to probably remember this. Uh, There was a band called Nazareth, and they had a song called Love Hurts. Love Hurts. It was about that high, about that whiny. And it is literally four courses of just talking about how terrible love is. And then Def Leppard in the 80s sang a song that says, Love Bites. And this is the last song. Watch out, Love Bites. Yes, it does. It will be hell. In the 90s, or maybe it was the 2000s, Sean Kingston. Anybody remember the song, uh, Beautiful Girls? Suicidal. He says, you're going to be suicidal when a beautiful girl breaks your heart. And I thought, why would any of us want to be in love if that's what love does to our lives? And I thought, is love really that volatile? Is love really that broken? And the answer is yes, when it's misunderstood, when it's not given correctly, when it's not received in the right way, when we redefine it, when we twist it, when we do something to love that it was never meant to experience, love can be that destructive. And I know that you and I have this really terrible habit. We love to create counterfeits in our life. When we can't experience the real thing, we create a counterfeit to get as close to the real thing as possible. We've been doing it with God for centuries, for thousands of years. The Pharisees used to do it. They would create this image of God so they could kind of manipulate and control people. And ever since then, we've been doing the same thing. Even after Jesus came and gave us the perfect resume of who God actually is, we still sort of try and make God to be somebody completely different because it helps fit into our politics, it helps fit into our belief systems, and it helps fit into our agendas. And you and I have taken love for a very long time And we continue to do it today and we try to squeeze it and push it and shape it and stretch it and do a bunch of things to it. But I'm going to, in the next couple minutes, tell you how to guarantee that you're experiencing real love. Now, I printed up some notes. This is how we do it at Summit. This is not homework. You're not going to be tested on it. This is going to help you maybe have an internal dialogue or maybe a conversation later on. So if you want to use your notes, go ahead. If you don't, that's fine as well. To know and experience real love, I have to accept that, number one, Love is too big for me to create. Too big for me to create. So my wife and I have a running joke. Whenever I do some small task around the house, like change a gasket in the guest bathroom toilet or patch a little hole on the wall, I say something like, do you like the house I built for you? And Because I try to make a really small thing sound much bigger than it really is. So I'll just stand there with my tools in my hand. I said, do you like the house I built for you? Right, we've got this great house and I did not. Because we like to, in our lives, talk about contributions we've made and make them sound just a little bit bigger than they actually are. Now, we do that with love because we experience it, we feel it, we share it, we receive it. We have interactions with love all the time, and sometimes we get to the point where we actually think because of how big it is inside of us, because of how much we do love it, because of how much we do experience it, because of how the impact it has on us, we actually think that we're in the process of creating it, that we have the power to summon up love in our lives. 
Now, I, I want you to hear this. Love is far bigger than any of us singularly or collectively. Love has existed long before you and I were ever born and will exist long after you and I are gone. Love is a power far too big for us to create. How do I know that? Because you and I don't have the ability to create God. Listen to this passage of Scripture, 1 John 4, 16. says, God is, even if you don't have it in front of you, guess what the next word is? Love. God is love. Those who are living in love are living in God, and God lives through them. So automatically, you and I have to now narrow our definition of what love is because there's a lot of things that are called love today, a lot of abusive things that are called love today, a lot of things done in the name of love today that don't fit that criteria right there. It's not a feeling or emotion or a behavior that you and I have the power to create. And that brings us to our second thing, to know and experience real love, I have to accept that number two, love is too perfect for me to improve. Love's too perfect for me to improve. How many of you have heard this expression, all elephants are animals, but not all animals are elephants? Nobody's heard that expression, or are you just too tired to raise your hand for that? How many of you have seen the vine of the little girl standing in the field, and there's thousands of geese around her, and she says, look at all those chickens. Okay, so <clears throat> I got you on that one, fine. So the expression I just shared and that little girl are a perfect example of how you and I can call something a thing when it really isn't that thing because, let's take the little girl in the Vine video, what she's really doing is talking about, she's misidentifying something because she sees similarities between a chicken and a goose. They are both birds. They both have beaks. They both have feathers. They both share a color. They, are, they have qualities and characteristics in common with each other, but they are not the same thing. And that's the biggest problem you and I have with love, is we find something that feels like it, kind of smells like it, kind of it tastes like it, it kind of, it shares enough similarities and characteristics that we begin to identify it as that. We begin to call it something that it absolutely is not, but here's the challenge. You and I not only shouldn't, but we don't have the ability or the power to redefine it or change what it is or expand its definition. Love does not need to evolve, and it definitely doesn't need you and I to improve on it, and here's why. Listen, I'm going to read, so I'm going to read something to you that you've probably heard a billion times if everybody's been to a wedding, right? I mean, most of you guys have been to a wedding in your life, and you probably heard this passage of scripture. I am currently appealing to the state of California to make it a law that this scripture can never be used at another wedding. I'm not really doing that, but I think I should do it because we use this in the romantic sense. So what I'm about to read to you, in the Greek, the word is, and you probably already had this in one of your classes, the Greek is agape, and that is a godlike love. 
Now, there are two other kinds of loves. There's eros. Everybody knows what eros is. That's sexual and, 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 uh, and romantic love. And then there is philos, which is friendship, uh, close bond to friendship. There's another one called sorge, but that's not commonly used. Okay? So those are the three or four kinds of love that are used in the Greek language. This is agape. Now, I want you to hear this. Eros and uh, uh, philos both are subordinate to agape. That means they subject themselves to the greaterness, I just made that word up, the greaterness of agape. Agape is the highest form and order of love. So when we sort of use it at the weddings, we're not really using it like we're supposed to use it, but it is true that eros love is subject to this love. So I'm going to read this to you. Love is patient. Love's also kind. Love's not envious, it doesn't boast or brag or strut about, there's no arrogance in love, it's never rude, it's not crude or indecent, it's not self-absorbed, love isn't easily upset, love doesn't tally wrongs or celebrate injustice, but truth, yes, truth is love's delight. Love puts up with anything and everything that comes along, it trusts, it hopes, it endures no matter what, but now faith, hope, and love remain. These three virtues must characterize our lives. The greatest of these is love. Not only does it give this amazing resume for what love is, it also gives love's shelf life. It says love is eternal. You and I have to be honest enough to admit that the thing that we call love in our life is not eternal. It can be very temporal. It can be very seasonal. It can be very momentary. It can be very cultural. The thing that you and I call love in our lives almost never looks like that. I mean, be honest with yourself. When you say you've loved somebody, can you say that you have never held a wrong against them? Can you say that you've put up with everything and anything? Can you say that your love has always been trusting? Can you say that it's never been indecent or boastful or proud or arrogant or selfish? Listen, the thing you and I call love is almost never what that is right there. And that is what love is. Can you really say that love needs us to improve on it at all? That you and I need to do something to it to make it better than it really is? There's absolutely nothing you and I can do to improve love. Number three and finally is this. To know and experience real love, I have to accept that love is too conditional to be unconditional. Now, I know that we've all been taught that unconditional love is like the highest and best form of an expression of love, but that's not really realistic for you and I because you and I don't understand what it is to experience anything without conditions. And I don't even know that God meant for us to experience anything without conditions. So I'm going to take you through just some of the conditions that surround love. These are things that are required for it to actually be love, okay? Love is, fill this in, not optional. I'm going to say this, if you're not a follower of Christ, if you're not yet a believer, and I understand that there's several of you that are not, I want to tell you that you aren't bound by some of these. It doesn't make them less true, it's just that you're not bound by them because Scripture is written to 
followers of Christ, believers. It's, it's those who are called children of God. So it, it, it's a covenant and a contract between God and his people. So you are, in a sense, exempt from it. Again, it doesn't make it less true. Whether you believe it or not doesn't make, truth is absolute. Everybody gets that, right? Truth is absolute. So something is true whether you believe it or not. Your belief system doesn't impact truth. So there is a pillar right over here next to the camera person. I can't see who's there, but uh, there's a pillar there. Whether you believe that pillar exists or not doesn't matter. It factually exists, okay? So the things I'm saying about love are absolutely true no matter what your relationship with them is. It's just that this is required of those who are followers of Christ. Okay, that was my caveat. Thanks for indulging me. Love is not optional. Our love for others is a grateful response to the love of God first demonstrated to us. Anyone can say, I love God, yet have hatred toward another believer. This makes him a phony. Another uh, translation says counterfeit. Because if you don't love a brother or sister whom you can see, how can you truly love God whom you cannot? For he has given us this command. You and I are required to love each other by the definition that I just gave you. Whoever loves God must also demonstrate love to others. Next thing is this. Love is counterintuitive. Your ancestors have also been taught, love your, this is Matthew 5, 43 for 44, love your neighbors and hate the ones that hate you. This is what everybody's been taught. However, I say to you, love your enemies, bless the one who curses you and do something wonderful for the one who hates you and respond to the very ones who persecute you. So if that is part of the requirements of what love is, how many of us can say that we've actually demonstrated love? I'm going to tell you really quick, I don't, um, yeah, does anybody know where I'm at? Uh, uh, like, do I have like five minutes? Do I have what? Ten minutes. Ten? Okay, I'll make it, try and make it five. So, so check this, <laughs> somebody goes five. I got it, I'm wrapping up, settle down. <laughs> uh, there was somebody not too long back that um, really said some terrible things about me. And they weren't true things, and that was what was really incredibly hurtful about it. And, um, so, you know, we get hurt when people say true stuff about us, too. So, uh, but this, it was really hurtful because they weren't true things. And it was somebody I should have been able to trust. And I wasn't. I would love to tell you that my perfect love response to them was to do something wonderful for them. But here's what I wanted to do. I wanted to ruin their reputation like they were trying to ruin mine. Because it felt just and it felt right. I thought, if you're going to attack me unfounded and make false allegations against me, I'm going to expose you for who you really are. That felt right to me. It felt just to me. I almost thought I could have rationalized it biblically. And Jesus says, love responds in the exact opposite spirit and commands us to pray for that person, to do something good for that person, to count, here's what it is, love does not give you what you think you deserve. And the world around you tells you this, you deserve to be happy, and love was never meant to make you happy. Love was meant to make you more like Jesus. 
Love is self-sacrificing. John 15, 13. Love for the, for the greatest love of all is a love that sacrifices all. And this great love is a demonst- demonstrating when a person sacrifices his life for his friends. I doubt any of us are going to be called upon to lay our lives down entirely for somebody. But I promise you this. Love will always demand you give up something. I'm helping a friend right now. And we've been putting in like 12 and 16 hour days doing drywall because he's under the gun to get this house finished. And I've been giving up, I've, I've literally been giving up sleep and a, a good diet and, and time, time with my family, time doing a bunch of other things that I need to be doing. And do you know why? It's because I care for this person. And that's not a big sacrifice. Love demands that you and I give up something, not that we get more of something And then finally is this, love is change-inspiring. Then we will no longer be like children, immature, forever changing our minds about what we believe because someone has told us it's something different or has cleverly lied to us and made the lie sound like the truth. See, that's what children do. They get tricked and fooled into believing things that aren't true. Instead, we will lovingly follow the truth at all times, speaking truly, dealing truly, and living truly. And so become more and more in every way like Christ, who's the head of his body, the church. Under his direction, the whole body is fitted together perfectly, each so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. In this passage, it interchanges love and truth, makes them so similar that they cannot be separated. You've heard the expression, speak truth and love. It's because that we always must pair truth and love together and they can't exist separately. And so sometimes you're going to hear things that are hard for you to hear and it can be feel unloving and it doesn't mean that it is unloving because love always inspires us to be better. We have an expression at Summit, we say that you should live your highest and best life. Now, I know that it's a big expression now to live your best life. We've been saying that for a long time. I feel like I should be getting royalties off that. We've been saying live your highest and best for a long time. And when we say that, it means that the journey to get there can often be uncomfortable because where we're at feels good right now. We all like to kind of stay where we're at. When somebody comes to us and shares something with us that challenges what we believe or what we feel, it often feels terribly uncomfortable. I want to tell you this. Don't let anyone define for you what love is except love himself. God is love. God is love. God is eternal. God has always existed. You cannot create, change, or improve God. You cannot impact what love is by trying to change the definition. What you should do is put all your energy and time into trying to actually experience, feel, share, and become what true love actually is. Can I pray over you guys? Father, I thank you for this opportunity. I know that uh, it may feel very involuntary that they're here But your word says that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And when you and I are under the influence of the word, our faith is increased, our lives are changed. So I pray in Jesus' name that lives would be impacted by your word today, that we would increase in love, not only what we experience, what we share, but what we become in love. And I thank you for it all in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys.